This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. You've got like let's explain your like cool radio DJ vibe to the people at home. You're in a hotel room. Yes, welcome to Over. Your wife is. This is a podcast yeah. about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. I guess uh, you're in a hotel room and your wife is sleeping behind you. Are we doing a choose your own adventure this week? Or are you and tell, so are you now, setting up a scene? And so for now me? you've got like a very like hey, it's Craig. I do bringing you classic rock from the 80s 90s and now we're gonna listen to some quiet riot and then we're gonna play some kiss and then we're gonna listen to motley Crue. and i think ironically enough me whispering has been the loudest thing i've done in the last five minutes uh but no we are taking a quick uh vacation jaunt up to the finger lake region of new york state i almost said new york now why are they called the finger lakes because if you look at how many fingers have you found since you've been up there only the fingers that i have i guess they're so okay so i asked and i have the answer they're called the finger lakes (laughs) because people like mobsters would go up there and they would like cut off everybody like all the corpses fingers so nobody could identify them right uh-huh and so they drove all the fingers up to the finger lakes and they just like dumped all the fingers in there yes so it's they were just lakes and then nobody knew what to call them but eventually mobsters started bringing fingers up there and just like dumping the fingers dumping the fingers for centuries they called that people would ask what the lakes were called and the residents would go what lakes we don't have a just name lakes, for those just lakes and then and then after like after a hard day's work at the finger lakes the mobsters would go to a nearby diner and they would get these like strips of chicken like fried chicken and they would eat them and uh that's how chicken fingers were invented and all these guys would just be licking their fingers the whole time. Mm-hmm, and you'd mm-hmm. ask them how it was going, and they'd say, good. It was good. And that's how the phrase finger looking good got introduced. And then there was a lady who also had fingers, and they made a dessert after her. Andrew, we should probably just And move. that's how lady fingers were invented. Oh, wow. We should probably move on to the books. I did something a little bit different this week. I read a like a nonfiction book mm. that's that purports to be about stuff that actually happened which is what nonfiction means yeah. it occurs to me as i say well, that but i'll say that i don't think we've done we've done some memoir and we've done some like nonfiction essays i don't know that we've done something that like kind of purports to be a behind the scenes nonfiction history like mm-hmm. contemporary history of Which anything. Which is kind of what this says it is. So, um, <laughs> well, well, I guess we'll find out if it is what it is. What is it called first? Okay, so it's called, all right, get ready for this one. It's called Open, colon, How Compaq Ended IBM's PC Domination and Helped Invent Modern Computing. That's a long title, Andrew. It's a long title. It's by Rod Canyon, 
who mm-hmm. is one of the co-founders of the Compaq Computer Corporation. Okay. And uh, so let me tell you why I read this book in the first place. I was going to not like so. I did not like buy it intending for it to be an overdue book sure. necessarily. So I was watching the first season of AMC's Halt and Catch Fire. Mm-hmm. Which is the show that the, like the period drama that they put on when it became clear that Mad Men was going to end. Oh yes, yes. And um, so I didn't it's, know it's, what it was called when they what like what it was about when they announced it. They did yeah, really so nothing to tell me what it was about. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's about it's about computers and the people who work in that industry and what it what the show does or like has done so far. It's it just started its third season a few weeks ago and. Um, the first season is pretty rough, I'll okay. tell you, as a fan of television. But like it, it's presenting a slightly fictionalized account of things that happened, like movements that happened in computing. So the first season roughly was about the invention of this like compute this particular kind of computer and we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we keep going okay the second season was kind of about the rise of the internet and like online communities and stuff and then the third season so far is still about the internet but also about like antivirus programs (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say like once you got to the internet the next thing is just smartphones right like uh, I mean, like, there's a lot of there's a lot like of social networks of the internet. Um, I guess the movie The Social Network is in there. Yeah, somewhere. um, there's just there's a lot of different phases of technology, and there are interesting stories to be told. But the like the thing you've got to do is make those interesting to a mainstream audience, of course, instead of just like preaching to the choir, which I think is what something this book is a little bit guilty of. Well, and the but, um, is, I was like, we all are, we've talked about this a little bit on previous shows, but like computers are so ubiquitous and I, I want to hold on to that as a possible refrain as, as we talk about this book in particular. Computers are, are ubiquitous, but understanding pretty much anything about how they work is not ubiquitous. Uh, it's the opposite of ubiquitous, whatever it is unbiquitous. Ubiquitous. <laughs> so who is this guy, Rod Canyon? Canyon? Yeah, C A N I O N. So Canyon. Joseph Rodney like... Rod Canyon. His given name is Joseph Rodney Rod Canyon. Okay, I thought you were making stuff up. I didn't know you'd done any research on your own. Why wouldn't I do research for our show, Andrew? I don't know. You're on vacation in the Finger Lakes. You're too busy scooping up fingers for good luck <laughs> yeah well i really dug my nails into this one. Oh god <laughs> all right smart guy rod joseph rod dear rod it rob what's his name joseph rodney rod canyon <laughs> yeah joseph rodney rod canyon <laughs> was uh he was okay he was he was a senior manager at texas instruments and then in 1982, he and this guy, Jim Harris, and this other guy, Bill Murto, founded the Compaq Computer Corporation. Uh, that's Compaq, C-O-M-P-A-Q. And I bet a lot of our listeners will either have used a Compaq computer before or have like seen one. Mm-hmm. Um, the company got acquired by Hewlett Packard HP in 2002, I think, 2001, 2002. And... Um, 
for a while, HP would use that brand name on sort of lower cost computers. But a couple of years ago, it got more or less discontinued and you, you can't really, you don't really see it around very much anymore. But, sure. Um, so what Compaq is, is, is famous for doing was, um, so let's, let's start getting into some computer stuff. There's not really a lot more about, um, about Rod Canyon, like most of what people know about him is tied up in the company that he helped found and and directs towards success okay okay andrew i let me let me stop you right there i found i found something about rod canyon all right sure great okay he was on the board of directors for cha-cha all right what is cha-cha cha-cha was a real-time search engine that had live human assistance. <laughs> Wait, is this post Google, pre Google? This is, I think it's post Google. When did this happen? It was Cha Cha got a bunch of money in 2006. Oh man, this is way post Google then. Yeah, it received $6 million in private funding from like Jeff Bezos and Rod Canyon and a couple other dudes. And Cha Cha, as I used it, uh, in, you used it? Yeah, in 2008. What you would do, <laughs> now this is pre-smartphone, is you would uh, either instant message or like call Cha-Cha, and then a person on the other end would like do your search for you. So presumably you had a cell phone and you needed to know the answer to something, but it was a dumb phone. So you would call so cha-cha. you call someone who would Google it for you. Yes. Now, my cha-cha story is I was using it to do theater research, and we needed to know like like some hit songs from some early 20th century decades. I had no idea that this was a thing or that uh-huh. you had ever used it. Uh-huh. What did you? What the? What did but, you do? But here's the best. Here's the best. Okay, so I was, I was, I kept calling Cha Cha and being like, "Give me the top three songs." <laughs> like constantly, we were the only person calling it. <laughs> this was, this was three times within like twenty minutes because we were working on on this like one part of a show when I graduated from school, and I wanted to know the top three songs in like the twenties, thirties, and forties, right? Because we were trying to update like a reference in a play, right? And after the third so you would get your te- you would get your responses back as a text message and after okay. on the third message it said feeling nostalgic and then a smiley face so like Whoa. there was a person in the cha cha office who was googling this nonsense for me and then decided to make it weird did you not use them anymore after that? Yeah, I never used Cha-Cha. <laughs> maybe, oh, man, maybe that was their downfalls. They made it weird. They made it weird for everybody. <laughs> yeah, it was such a weird, dumb thing. Cha-Cha, what are you doing? Um, and are you going to talk a little bit about Texas Instruments at all, Andrew? Not really, no. All right. Um, they were... They're the calculator Compact early people. on was like accused of poaching too many people from Texas Instruments since the three co-founders all came from there. And sure. so there was some there's some legal things that happened like early on in the company's life, but it was settled fairly quickly and without a whole lot of damage done to, mm. to Compaq, I don't think. But what what did you want to bring well, up? Well, just that the people who made the same calculators that I played like drug war on in middle school or whatever <laughs> are the same people who like sent computer chips to the moon and made laser guided bombs 
and the first single chip microprocessor and the speak and spell. Like the way that you say that, like they sent computer processors to the moon, it just <laughs> makes it sound like they they just shot a rocket into space, like full of computer processors, and it like crashed into the side of the moon. It's still, and up now there. there are just processors up there. It's still there. We gave them our technology. I don't know why we did it. <laughs> the moon's a mess. Uh, yeah, that's, and I, I also found some information on that on some of that poaching from Ti. Um, and I, I think you'll end up talking about why they were doing that, but uh, it had to do with like the age and the experience level of folks that they wanted, and they were yeah yeah, and and maybe I mean I'll we'll talk about this a little bit. Is I I feel like so this is a book written far like way after the fact by the ex CEO of a company. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so I'm like, I'm reading it because partly because I was, I was watching Halt and Catch Fire and I wanted to find some more like factual info about some of the stuff that was happening in the first season. Um, I write about technology for a living, which I don't bring to the show too often, which is like on purpose, but I know that we have some listeners who have come we have upon plenty, the yeah. show because mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. And we welcome um, more of them whenever they show up. Yeah. Sup guys. <laughs> how's your how's but your this microchips is, this is uh i think a very sanitized account of things that happened during this period well i want to hear and we'll more talk about, about that a little bit more yeah. but but it is he does he very much like glosses over any periods of difficulty that the company has or like any obstacles that the company ran into okay well, Andrew, a couple minutes ago before I interrupted you, you were going to tell me about Compact. But first, I think we need to take a break. Hey, Andrew, this uh, episode of Overdue is sponsored by Squarespace. Uh, whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, or professional blog, or an online store, it's all included with your Squarespace website. Did you know I'm all that? Loving, I'm loving what radio, Smooth Radio Craig is doing <laughs> with this ad. Andrew, loving it. Did you know that creating a Squarespace website is easy? I did know. You can add and arrange your content and features <laughs> with the click of a mouse. Did you know that you get a free custom domain if you sign up for a year? It's free. Ooh, free. I think I turned this into a sex hotline by accident. Uh, a little bit. Let's see um, where it goes. I, I will say I'll say to 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 bring us back on track a little bit. We did create our website overdopodcast.com oh, with mm-hmm. Squarespace. We've been Squarespace customers for what, like three and a half years? Yeah, pretty loyal to or something. And uh, they, yeah, they give you these great templates. You you can easily like drag stuff around and rearrange the pages to look the way you want them to look. Um, I've also seen like a million web wedding websites done in Squarespace. Like you don't need to have any coding experience or anything like that to be able to get in here and get your hands dirty and get a website looking the way you want your website to look. So. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter offer code OVERDUE to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, set your website apart. All right, we're back, Andrew. Why don't you tell me why I should care about this story? 
Like what? Okay. Like why compact? Why is that important? And and where are they as we start this tale? I'm I'm gonna try and make this interesting. Is um, <laughs> it's yeah. Like I I don't know. I'm a little. I didn't know what kind of episode it was going to be because this is this is like inherently sort of dry stuff and it's from a long time ago and it does still have like a bearing, it, you know, it has a bearing on the stuff that we all used growing up. It still has some bearing on the computers that we're using today, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like you don't need to know everything about like the history of a car to enjoy driving a car, you know, like it's, sure, sure. You don't need to know about the history of car metaphors to make a bad car metaphor. That is correct. But people <laughs> still study Henry Ford and talk about the rise of that type of automobile and can learn lessons from it in terms of, you know, creating a market and then satisfying that market, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. So, okay, the deal with the deal, to understand the deal with Comeback, you have to go back to IBM, actually. Which um, in the early 80s, I believe 1981, Mm -hmm. um, IBM came out with its personal computer. And this was like a specific model of computer, not just like the the PC as we understand it now, where like we can call pretty much everything PCs because they're all personal computers. Okay. Like this was a particular brand of computer. And that's capital important. P, capital C, personal computer. Yes, the IBM personal computer. Huh. Uh, yeah, first introduced in August of 1981. And um, so the thing to understand about computers back in this this era where, like I think you and I, like I don't know what your first computer was. Not but I know great. That, yeah, I know that we didn't like get one until they were like dipping below 500 bucks. Like we were pretty late adopters. Well, how old were you when you first had a computer? Cause there were some in my house. Cause my dad was a computer programmer. Like he worked on bank software and stuff. So I remember messing around with DOS on some, de- some computer, you know, in probably 90, two or 93 yeah i, I mean, was old we enough didn't, to spell we didn't, so we didn't get a crappy dos hand-me-down computer until probably like 96 or oh, something okay. like that okay mm-hmm. and then we didn't get like a usable modern computer until like 98 99 sure sure um and so i was like part of part of why i got into them and was like really interested in learning more about them is because we were so like far behind and I was intent on making our crappy old computers <laughs> do more of the stuff that like a good computer could do. Cause like my aunt and uncle and like my grandparents, like they were all getting modern computers and I, I, we did not scarcity one. breeding curiosity. Basically. Yeah. Okay. Curiosity becoming obsession, <laughs> becoming careers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So the thing to understand about computers back in this like early era is that they were not all like compatible with one another. So you'd have like the IBM personal computer and like whatever Apple was doing and whatever Commodore was doing and whatever, like all these different companies were doing. And um, when you wanted to run software on any of them, like the, the person making your software would have to develop a version of it specifically for your computer. Oh, okay. And so the importance of the IBM personal computer is that 
IBM was a huge company. They were really like formative to the success of, of computers in general. And, um, they sold like a lot of these things to the point where if you were like an upstart in this computer market and you're trying to introduce something new, it was hard to get it off the ground because all of your software developers and everything are, they just wanted to make apps and programs for the, for the IBM PC. Like they didn't, if you were introducing a new computer that needed new kinds of apps, it was like, it was so hard to start from nothing and get any support that it kind of doomed develop like it doomed these, these other computers from the start. Sure. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that kind of, sounds a little is it analogous at all to like early smartphone stuff or like it's if an, you, yeah it's analogous to smartphones now like you know you have you have the iphone you have android stuff and like microsoft has tried and blackberry has tried and a few other companies have tried to do like a third place smartphone operating system and like app ecosystem and they can't do it because the competitors are so entrenched already that there's just nothing like there, you're never going to get that critical mass that you need to succeed. Well, and the market is already saturated enough that to like get any sort of attention, you can't be doing it on some third party nonsense. Yeah, right. And so, so what you're seeing on on the smartphone side is that if a new company wants to get in there and compete, what they can do is they can make an Android phone, but they have to do something to make it different from the million other Android phones, and that usually ends up meaning competing on price which is not a great way to make a profit which means a lot of not a lot of companies like do that or survive for very long um, which is ultimately what happened to the the pc industry but that's not what the this book is covering so take me back to 1981 okay. the personal computer mm-hmm. what 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 is that why is that important what did did we all just share one big computer beforehand did i not have my own computer um, there were like, I think a lot of computing was happening like on universe, like in, on campuses and universities. And a lot of computers were, um, like terminals that would connect to a server and the server something. would do all the work. Yeah. But like the computer itself was, was kind of a dumb box that didn't do a whole lot of stuff. And so the personal computer era was, yeah, about getting the stuff in people's homes uh, and making it like personal in that way, and then also making computers that could do stuff themselves, like playing games and and doing all kinds of other stuff. Um, so the the personal computer, the IBM PC, is important because it became so popular that like this garden industry sprung up around it of people trying to make clones of it, basically. Mm, okay. Um, and so like if you you may remember like if you remember back to the early days of of you and your family having a computer you might remember the term like ibm compatible meaning something yes Mm -hmm. or if you've ever worked in it with people over a certain age like they still often will refer to windows computers as ibms or ibm compatible well i've never done that but i know that you have yeah i have and they do (laughs) and it's funny because ibm has not sold computers in like well over a decade and (laughs) <laughs> nobody was calling things ibm compatibles for many many years why don't you that. fax me a complaint about it andrew Jeez. all right yeah i'm gonna fax it i'm gonna send it to you here let me fire up my modem <laughs> Do you, okay andrew here's a thing real quick modem story okay cool when oh I, great i'm glad you have a modem story yep when i was in 
middle school, I used to spend a lot of time like up late online that I shouldn't have been. But of course, we had a dial-up pornography. No, like just like reading about video games. Like, who do you think I am? <laughs> um, and we did. We only had dial-up, but so like I would wait to do it until like after everyone had gone to bed because right. obviously like phone lines and tying up phone lines and whatnot. Um, but I wasn't supposed to be doing it. So like nope. the the day <laughs> I went. <laughs> Like, try and pad my computer with, like, pillows and stuff. Yep, yep. I'd throw a blanket over my computer to keep the modem from making that noise, and, too. And then I would I would start the dial-up sequence and then go to the bathroom and, like, flush the hall <laughs> bathroom toilet. It's actually create. a revelation when I got a modem where you could go into the, like, the driver settings and oh, turn and the noise turn off. the noise off. God, it was such a big deal. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, so we're talking about IBM compatible computers. When when does Mr. Mr. Rod get on the scene? What's his deal? Uh so Compaq is forming in 82 into 83. And uh, so so what a lot of companies have been doing already is making these these things that purport to be IBM compatible, but they have compatibility issues, right? Mm. Like they can't they can't run all the same software. And so you can imagine like as a customer buying one of these things that it's probably not a totally satisfying experience. Like you can do a lot of what you want to do, but not all of what you want to do. And it just it makes you feel like you're using the knockoff because that's what you're doing. <laughs> okay. And um, so Compaq's goal from the very beginning was to achieve like 100% compatibility huh. okay. with the IBM PC and thus like making a product that they could like control independently and like maybe they could undercut IBM on price or whatever. Like they could just, they could have this product that ran everything that people wanted it to run, but it was like theirs and not ibms if that makes sense yeah that seems kind of smart i guess Mm -hmm. so i mean the early part of the book is all about um like the ibm pc was made mostly of like off-the-shelf parts that you could just buy from any old place Mm -hmm. um there is a special chip called the bios that stands for basic input output system Mm -hmm. where um when you when you first turn the computer on and there is some version of this that still exists when you very first you know turn the computer on there's got to be this very basic low level thing that can like hand off control to like the main processor and to the hard drive and to all that stuff that um that actually loads up like windows or or mac os or whatever software you're using um so ibm had a very specific version of this thing and compaq had to like clean room reverse engineer it and clean room meaning that they could not have access to any like schematics they could not have an ibm pc in there they would need to make something that did exactly the same thing and it would have to be totally original work and that's how they would protect themselves like legally yeah i is that could they like legally could they go buy one and then reverse engineer it um is that like how they kind of think i think that's what happened because i've i've read about you know soviet technology during the cold war like when there were like incredible embargoes like that would happen where like someone would smuggle in a bit of technology and then they would have to like create their own version and it would always come out a little bit different 
just because, <laughs> you know, lack of resources or different, you know, styles or whatever, you know, different languages. But this is, they are here in this book trying to create a thing that is as close to the original so that it achieves compatibility. Yeah. So, like, Compact did this itself and had its own version of this BIOS that they used in the early 80s. And then later on in the 80s, there were. Um, some other companies that made a version of it that they would then license out to other people. So like anybody could start making um, clones of these computers. And that's that's kind of the birth of the modern PC industry is you have multiple different companies making the same basic box with the same basic components and they can all run Windows. They can all do whatever. And like so if you like buy something from Dell or if you buy something from HP or if you go on a website and like order components and build something yourself, basically this like these efforts happening in the early 80s on the part of Compaq and some of these other companies, these are why you can just pop Windows on this thing and like all the same software will run in all the basic the same basic ways is like they've they created this standard that computers had to be compatible with to like be successful what were they running is that a dumb question like they weren't were they running windows yet no no not not in the early 80s in the early they so they again in this book like they go through these phases where they are communicating with like intel to make processors that like every time intel made a new processor compact would like go to them and say okay you also have to make it so it can run all the same stuff as your old processors could mm-hmm. like to main ba- maintain backward compatibility um microsoft was making an operating system for ibm computers and compact worked with them to make a version of that same operating system that would run on other stuff um so they're all they're kind of like piecemeal like pa- patching this standard together like company by company and are they like stealing stuff is it like are they sniping computer engineers like what is what's the most dramatic part of this process here's where we here's where we get into the first of my issues with this book oh and I know okay. this, this has been like a pretty dried conversation without like a lot of goofs or, or whatever so far but so this is a this is a book written by a ceo he hasn't been there in a long time but he does probably have industry contacts that he wants to maintain he mm-hmm. may or may not have um, non-disclosure agreements that he signed when he left compact where he can't like talk about certain things or disparage certain things or people. So when you're reading this book, like it does give you like step by step. Okay, here's what we did. Here's why it was important. Here's generally how it happened. But you don't get a lot of like the conflict. You don't get a lot of very messy stories. Okay. So like this, this Texas Instruments thing happens where these three dudes from TI all form this company And they're trying to hire like hardware engineers and software engineers. And they, you know, being from TI, they know a lot of people from that company. And so they, they hire a lot of XTI people. And so a lawsuit comes out of that because, you know, they're accusing Compaq of poaching employees. And like, maybe you can tell me a little bit more about how that actually went down. But in the book, it's all like, yes, there was this lawsuit, but then it was all settled and everything went fine. (laughs) Like the yeah. way that all potential roadblocks are set up is like, here is a potential roadblock, but it all ended up being okay. Yeah, we all made a bunch of money, so it's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the only thing I found related to that was that like a Fortune 
magazine article from 1985, actually, uh, basically telling the contemporaneous version of this story. Uh, and they got a guy, uh, VP uh, of like programming or something from Compaq, Steve Flanagan, and he said, I don't think you could get a 20-year-old to try not to satisfy his ego by improving on IBM. When you're fat, balding, and 40 and have a lot of patents already, you don't have to try. (laughs) (laughs) And he said that the average programmer that they hired had about 15 years of experience. Yeah, yeah, that's basically Compaq is 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 formed by a bunch of middle-aged dudes who are like, let's make some money. Yeah, it's not let's about get some money out of this. It's it's not like, you know, the social network, like let me make my mark on the world. I'm 22 and I'm going to make up an internet for you. It's better than the old internet. Like that's not what that movie's about, but whatever. Um, <laughs> these are some dudes who just want to, you know, they want to make a company. Did do they tell the House of Pie story in this book, Andrew? The House that, of Pie story. Apparently, their original plan was drawn up on the back of a placemat at the House of Pies in Houston, I they, Texas. I think they did mention it, but um, but yeah, like it's clear from the outset that all the people working at this company were a bunch of squares. <laughs> like they're all squares o squaresville. <laughs> Um, like, let me, let me read you a couple of, of choice sentences and like, and I think, I think Canyon wrote this book himself. Like there, there is, as far as I can tell, there's no like ghost writer or, um, like secondary author credited. Oh yeah. There's no like ghost writer trying to make a name for themselves with like cool turns of phrase right so it's just like it's like this guy like 20 years after the fact writing this account of the stuff that he did and like and so i think as a result a lot of the language is really stilted and weird (laughs) um and in the back of the book he thanks his five editors which seems like a lot of editors (laughs) uh so all right here's uh here's him talking about compact's first product in terms of a baseball analogy, our product was a solid single. That offends In terms me of as a baseball person, analogy. That offends me as a baseball fan and a person who likes words. That's, that's a mess. Uh, here's him talking about a uh, 1985 introduction of a product at a shareholders meeting. As I step away from the podium, the room fades to black and a strong beat vibrates through the dark. Spotlights hit the mock-up of a huge computer that is the backdrop on the stage. Then, as though performing at a concert, the Pointer Sisters, one of the hottest R&B groups, dance onto the mock computer's giant keyboard that forms the stage floor. As lasers flash, they enter in, a past- in pastel-colored dresses, singing their hit song, I'm So Excited. As they sing, images of our new generation of computers flash across the backdrop screen. This is not how the computer industry does things. Until now. Oh, man. The Pointer Sisters, one of the hottest R&B groups. This sounds like he this, he's trying to get a job... He like he's like trying to prove how cool the decisions he made were. Yeah, like, but like I listen, I still cover tech regularly, and with the exception of Apple, who is pretty much like pretty much just gets down to business. Like every awkward product introduction I've ever been to has used this template. 
Oh, sure. It's like okay. laser light show nonsense. <laughs> Possibly, like, maybe they have, like, Maroon 5 come on after. Um, search, like, I think on YouTube or maybe just on uh, TheVerge.com, uh, Google um, Qualcomm Supercut. Okay. Um, or like Qualcomm CES Supercut, mm-hmm. and you will see like this this style of presentation distilled to its to its clearest like ninety six percent pure, well, like blue meth awkward <laughs> computer presentation. Well, see, that's funny because when I was one of the other things that came up as I was reading about uh, Compaq in this era. Is there a series of John Cleese ads that they ran in the mid nineteen eighties? Now this did not come up in the Okay, book. so they in like the mid eighties they were advertising the portable two computer, which is the worst name for anything. It's the sec it's the one after the portable computer. <laughs> and apparently this was they'd reached a point where their computers were now more compatible with IBM software than ibm's own computers yes this is right okay and so they hired john cleese to like stand in these gray nondescript studio spaces in front of these computers and there's this one you can go to like the youtube channel is compact vet and you can find all of them but <laughs> there's one where he says well it's unfair to compare this portable two computer to another computer so i'll compare it to this fish and then like he spends two minutes making Monty Python-esque comparisons between this computer and this fish. Uh, there's another one where a guy like goes at micro-machine man speed, like rattling off all the benefits of this compact computer. And then Cleese shoots him with a bow and arrow, walks on screen and says, boring. <laughs> like... <laughs> It's I don't know what's going on. Listen, like that that is maybe my favorite thing about Compact in this book <laughs> is it is like even in the words that its own founder uses, it is like Dadco computers. <laughs> like the Dad Computer Corp. It's just a bunch of dads. Yeah. Like uh, even down to, you know, rolling in Monty Python and like maybe just chill out with the with the Holy Grail quotes, compact, it's fine. Yeah, compact. Um, so yeah, to to hook that onto like the second. So the first half of this book is mostly about compacts, like ascendancy. It's like them making deals with dealerships and like getting the compact computer on the shelves. It's them, um, like beating IPM to the punch mm-hmm. with like they they got the 386 processor which was better than the 286 Go and figure. it was made out of 386 chips if I'm to believe John Cleese right okay that's not right okay but listen will John Cleese like I don't think he's a computer expert so we'll forgive him his misspeaking sure <laughs> um and then the second half of the book is about IBM okay so IBM sees all these little companies like making these compatible computers and decides you know what like i don't i don't want to compete with six dozen different companies that are all doing the same thing that i'm trying to do so i am and this is me like as ibm talking okay understand. you're playing the playing the role of ibm andrew yeah, of, of robert ibm uh-huh. founder of ibm computers robert rob ibm yes robert rodney rod john ibm okay 
the first um and and they're like okay we're gonna go make this own we're gonna go make our own thing and our name means enough to like people who buy computers and like decision makers at uh, businesses and stuff that we're going to become the standard again and like but we're gonna have control of everything. Like we're gonna we're gonna have this these standards that we license out to all these other companies so that they can build compatible computers. Like they they were sort of acknowledging that the compatible business was not gonna go away, but they were trying to like bring it under their own control and like make it so they can make money off of it, basically. Uh-huh. Um and this is in the mid to late eighties? This is in the mid to late eighties, yeah. And so Compact's deal was okay, do we follow ibm and do we do this or do we keep making faster and better computers that are still compatible with the old stuff that's out there already and like in so doing you know make this standard make it so that all the money that people have invested in pcs to date like doesn't go down the toilet um yeah and so they 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 follow that strategy and they win hooray (laughs) IBM makes a bunch of promises about its technology that do not come through and then Compaq spearheads an initiative to like formalize the standard platform that they've been pushing for a long time, getting like a lot of companies in line, like making these new interfaces that they then um, basically put out in the open. Like they, they don't collect any licensing fees they don't get any royalties they're just like defining this new standard that anybody can use and because anybody can use it it is widely used and because it's so widely used like it it just drives adoption of the standard as the only thing that can exist yeah there's a there's like inertia to it that's insurmountable yeah so that's the second half of the book is that that particular leg of the of the story now earlier you said that uh that some of the prose was your first problem with the book or was that was that the fact that it's a winner's tale that's cleansed of all like dirty secrets okay so yeah that that's kind of my my other problem that i wanted to bring up is this is a i think this is a part of a genre of books like the ceo tell all yeah, sort of thing. Like I think this has happened with a lot of CEOs who have who have left a company and then later want to like tell their story. Mm-hmm. Is they tell these like not unfactual but highly sanitized versions of things that happened. And so the the big example, um, which comes in pretty much at the end of the book, which then like makes you doubt retroactively all the other stuff that you've read, is uh, so Rod Canyon was. Uh, He'd stopped working at Compaq in the early 90s, in okay. like 91, I think. Okay. To hear Canyon tell it in the book, it was entirely his decision to do this. Like, he oh. was burnt out, and he like didn't want to work there anymore, and so he was going to leave and go on to new things. And that the company was left in the very capable hands, and then... Later, it failed and was sold to HP and blah, blah, blah. But, like, my tenure there was something that I chose to end voluntarily, and then I went on with my life. Good. That sounds perfect. Yeah, yeah. that's mm-hmm. not what happened. Oh. <laughs> In 1991, the company uh, had to do its first layoffs ever. It had to lay off uh, about 1,400 workers, which at the time constituted, like, 11 or 12% of its wow. workforce. Wow. 
And so this uh, the chairman of the board, um, this guy, Ben Rosen, um, forced Canyon out basically mm. in like the late, late 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. And then he went on um, to become the Green Goblin. I've seen that. Wonderful <laughs> was in that movie. I may be I may be muddling the timeline. There's yeah. this is all happening between like 89 and 91. OK. Um, but yeah, Canyon got like booted by the board. He was forcibly removed from his CEO ship well, of this company. Well, he, it was of his own accord, Andrew, that he did not like light the boardroom on fire. Like he walked out peacefully, sure. probably. And the the later version of it, the yeah, I was burnt out and I needed to leave anyway version. Only came about many, many, many years later when he had <laughs> reconciled with Rosen and he's like this this elder statesman in tech who's like funding his own stuff and he doesn't want to burn any bridges. So, yeah, like no bad blood. Right. Well, yeah. Right. Well, and exactly. I, th- I think these CEO books probably a get pitched to them, maybe. And then B, are a good excuse to become a consultant slash speaker if you aren't already. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not sure what he's doing now. His LinkedIn just talks about his book. And then that's where I I found out that he was on the board of directors at Cha Cha. (laughs) uh, It mostly lists a bunch of his board affiliations. Yeah, he's he's still around, but I don't know that he's like doing a ton of stuff. No, he doesn't hold a title uh, that isn't like a board of director title. Yeah, like board of director or like his title sometimes have emeritus in them. He's (laughs) director emeritus of the Houston Technology Center, which like I listen, emeritus means a lot of things depending on where you are. But usually it means you're old and checked out and we are giving you this to like soothe i don't know to smooth ruffled feathers to like satisfy your ego like like pick a reason but it's not it's not some great honor usually it does not usually come with like an upgrade in responsibility level oh not at all it mostly means that we will still answer your phone calls but like we're not gonna make phone calls (laughs) yeah like maybe we have a plaque somewhere with your name on it yeah and doesn't that make you feel happy you finally got you finally got something that means that you will, your memory will never die, and that people will be looking at that plaque while they're waiting to go to the bathroom for years and years to come. <laughs> Always read the plaque, and they will read your name and so, be like, "Hmm, I wonder who that was." Oh, bathroom's free. <laughs> bathroom emeritus. Um, <laughs> as we're winding down, Andrew, you came to this book because of your background in tech, and also your interest in *Halt and Catch Fire*. But I think. Uh, that's all woven together right so like is there stuff in this book that you didn't know about that's like cool that you know now or interesting anecdotes that you think are really you know neat that you that you didn't it was was just interesting to read the the sequence of events and like think back to the computers i was using as a as a kid and like and and know how they like came about like this is all stuff that i sort of knew vaguely already mm-hmm. is that the like current pc ecosystem rose out of this thing where you had to become compatible with ibm and blah 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 but like this like i i know more about like compact's importance and why people cared about it at all 
Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, like my first laptop that I bought in 2003 was a compact branded computer that was like one of the really, really early fruits of the merger between it and HP. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you ever, if you like had a compact desktop or yeah, laptop that you we... particularly remember, but. No, I know my sister had a compact desktop. I had at least one compact laptop at some point, and I don't know what. I don't think we have no because you can't get them anymore. So yeah, yeah. Right. I don't but remember. like by the, by the time you and I were using computers in earnest in like the late '90s and into the early 2000s, like the the brand was just like quietly around, and you yeah. knew that it was a name, but you didn't care very much. No. And so this is this book like from this I was I learned why of its importance to the wider industry and yeah. why anybody would would have any affection for them whatsoever. I was way more excited if someone was going to tell me that dude you're getting Dell than a compact. Come no. on, you're getting a compact. <laughs> Golly gee, you're getting a gateway. <laughs> uh hey, it's HP. <laughs> hey partner. That's what HP stands for. Hey partner. <laughs> it's HP time. Yeah, I don't know that I would recommend that anybody read this book okay. who does not have like a specific interest in tech because you got to you like one you've got to want to supplement it with other sources to mm. like mm. actually get the full picture of what was happening because like I don't know, like it's it's I don't think that he's telling any untruths at any point. No, but, but it's it's a public account, it's like you said earlier. Account. And then also, he's like directly quoting people a lot of times, but the the things that he has people saying are not things that any human person would ever say. <laughs> like he's talking about him and the other two dudes, um, Bill Murto and Jim Harris, like founding Compaq and like defining their goals and stuff. And uh, Bill says what of, of his goals. My goal is to work in an environment of trust among my peers. I also want the personal satisfaction of creating and operating a good environment for people to work in. And I agree that monetary rewards should be proportional to contribution. And it's like, this is Dadco Computers, as we established earlier. But also, nobody talks like that unless they're 17 and like filling out a college admissions essay or they're a robot. Allow me to translate, Dad Robot. I want to work with people who are cool, run a cool office with soccer balls and stuff, and like people get to make money when they earn it. Yeah. Oh, God. Thanks. Thanks for translating from Dad to 90s teens. <laughs> Radical, dude. Totally gnarly. <laughs> so is that about as human as this story gets, Andrew? Is like his own accounts of these other humans who helped Pretty him much create it. computrons. Yeah, like there's one interesting story later on where one of their dealers is trying to get like better prices out of them and then Compaq like says, "Well, okay, we're not going to do business with you anymore." And then the the retailer like gets ground into the dust and forgotten by okay. time. And it's like listen, like you're you were you headed up this company at like the most interesting time in its history. You knew all these people, you have all these sources, you have all this access to information. And like for me as a journalist, like that's access that I'll just 
it's really hard to get. Like it takes a lot of work to get that level of confidence from people. And like still a lot of them don't want to talk because they have other like ties in the tech industry that they want to maintain. Yeah. And so you, you have all this access and all this like personal knowledge of how stuff went and what we are getting is the press release sanitized PR version it is, of what It is. It's a happened. press release book. Like, yeah. how much more interesting would this story be if it were even just, like, you or any yeah. other tech-interested reporter, like, sitting down and asking follow-up questions? Yeah, like, I want to know the back... Like, I want to know the back room version. I want to know all the times that, like, people threw chairs across the room. I want to know all the times that you made people mad. I want to know all times that you got an angry call from somebody IBM like that stuff happens occasionally in this book, but it's just so like bloodless that it's a little frustrating to read because you know that the actual story there had to be like the story that you would get with this dude over beers at like one in the morning is so much more interesting than the story that you get in this book. And that's sort of frustrating to me is like I wanted the 1 a.m. beer version is there Which like is a the coupon? version that Halt and Catch Fire like purports, <laughs> purports to tell? I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna say, is there like, can you get the, an edition of this book that has like a coupon for like one beer <laughs> or ten? I don't know. So like my rod. quest, my quest for a satisfying book about this era is gonna continue, I think. But okay, yeah. So like you know, it's it gives you some information. Maybe it's like hopefully the listeners that we have who haven't like tuned out by now have learned some something. Yeah, I think they probably yeah, have presented this in a semi-compelling way, but yeah, it's it's a it's a kind of book we don't talk about that often, and it's because like there's so little worth commenting on in the prose. It's like you just you can do this like rote recitation of what they say happened. Yeah, and and that's a tough thing when you're, you know, I'm just trying to broaden the net a little bit. It's a tough thing when you're reading nonfiction about your industry or your field because it's sort it's always a thing that you probably should be reading and it's always a thing that can inform your work or make you a little bit more knowledgeable among your peers with whom you collaborate in the workplace mm-hmm. um but that's it's not always the best or easiest read and sometimes it can be very difficult to actually glean like useful lessons from yeah right just because you know where people were before you doesn't mean that they have anything to tell you. What am I, what am I saying? What I don't teenager know. did I just become? I don't know. Smooth, um, smooth you, radio, Craig. The listener want to send us emails about your first computers. You can do that by sending an email to overduepod at gmail.com. If you want to hit us up on social media what all the young computer kids are using these days, you can head on over to twitter.com slash overdue pod or facebook.com slash overdue pod. I want to thank Owen, Albie, Melody, Amy, Sarah, Melissa, Christine, Tanya, Alex, Starfish Chick, Definitely R.A., Ellen, Corey, our friends the Black Hotties, Tysophene, Ms. W.T., Lucas, Paper Chimes, Allison, Chris J., Katie Bug, Celeste, Tessa, good old J. Deep, Grant, and Brontosaurus, Eric, <laughs> Carrie, Claire says what? Elizabeth, Katie, Sadia, Grace, Melissa, Taylor, and Eric, who sent us some insurance fan fiction, Philip, who reminded me about pumpkin spice latte creep, and Rob, who wanted to know if we're ever going to do a live choose your own adventure, which sounds crazy. I might do it. Yeah, I'll be there too. I might Andrew, be Andrew, if. 
folks want to learn more about the show, where should they go? They can go to OverduePodcast.com, which is our home on the information superhighway. Up there, we have links to iTunes, RSS, Google Play, and Stitcher. Those are the ways you can subscribe to the show. If you subscribe on iTunes, do rate and review us because it makes us feel better about ourselves. And it helps us rise in the rankings, helps people find the show. Um, what else? We've got a link to HeadGum, our podcast network, Spreaker, our podcast host. We've got links to Amazon, to the books that we have read and are going to read that you can click through and, and buy those books you want to read along. And that gives us a little bit uh, of a cut of the sales. Um, if you want to go to our Patreon project and support us in an ongoing fashion, you can find more information about that on the website. Um, we do have a tier on Patreon where people who uh, donate at a certain amount can get a book moved to the top of our list. Like as we've said the last couple of weeks, my um, reading of David Foster Wallace's Infinite Jest for episode 200 is sort of putting the the brakes on any other longish book reading project that I could be embarking upon. So. So we're like deviating from that list a bit for a little while, but um, after episode 200 goes up, we should be able to hop back on that and start reading the stuff you guys have recommended. It's been, we've been reading listener recommendations for like the last year and a half at least. It's been going pretty well. Yeah. And it's, yeah, we've, we've gotten a lot out of it and we, we want to keep doing it. So we like doing it. Um, Anything else, Craig, do you know what you're reading for next week? Yeah. I'm actually going to be reading uh, a Patreon suggested book, The Magicians by Lev Grossman. Uh, but I do want to correct your earlier statement is because after Infinite Jest, Andrew, we're we're coming up on Spooktober. Ooh, spooky! So if we if we have to waylay some some other patron suggestions, it's all in the service of the best month of the year, Spooktober. Mm-hmm. Just just so everyone's aware. Yeah, and that's, that's our like, annual October. This is Spooktober three, I think. Oh um, our annual spooky extravaganza where we read like ghost books and stuff for. <laughs> for the entire month so yeah enjoy i i really enjoy that every year and i'm looking forward to it again this year yeah that's all we got thanks for listening everybody yeah thanks for listening everyone i hope this uh episode uh went okay do tell us what you think if it was like boring or if it was cool or whatever like it's something we don't try a lot so uh your feedback is appreciated until next week uh try to be happy That was a HeadGum Podcast.